As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Marie Thompson, principal at Powerhouse Ventures. Marie is a Haas MBA alum and works on early stage sourcing and diligence for Powerhouse Ventures. Marie has an amazing journey both pre and post Haas, and we're excited to share her story on the podcast today. Welcome, Marie, and great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's really nice to be here. Marie, I know we were talking a bit before uh, we started recording, but you know, would you share a bit about your origin story? Where did you grow up and, and how did you end up becoming an MBA at Haas? Yeah, I actually grew up outside of Philadelphia in a place called Exton, Pennsylvania. So my parents still live in the same house. I'm actually here right now for the holidays, recording out of my sister's childhood bedroom. But yeah, I had a, a really great childhood here, a family, neighbors, an amazing public school kind of up the road. And because of that, got to explore lots of different classes band, sports, everything in between. So from there, I was a runner in high school and I took that very seriously and was lucky enough to get a, an athletic scholarship to a place called Rice University in Houston, Texas. Yeah. So all of these siblings are fourth generation Penn State graduates. And I'm the kind of weirdo that was like, hey, I, I really want to go to this place in, in Texas. And my parents were understanding enough to let me fly a little bit. I did my undergrad at Rice University, had an amazing experience representing my school through athletics. I was a division one athlete in cross country and indoor and outdoor track. So a lot of seasons, teammates for life. I mean, some of those girls are my closest friend in the world and poured my kind of heart and soul into running school. (laughs) I majored in political science and economics. And my whole thing was I just really wanted to solve um, big societal problems. So I thought I was going to go towards policy, but after a few internships in the policy world, I realized I'm very results oriented and that doesn't always align well with doing work for policy in the policy world, I guess. So right after graduation, I instead pivoted hard into the private sector and spent uh, a bunch of years after undergrad uh, at an upstream oil and gas company called APA Corporation. In the oil and gas ecosystem, they're the ones who are finding and drilling and producing oil and gas. So I started in uh, a strategic risk group and then moved into strategic and corporate planning. So the whole job was just around pulling a lot of inputs, uh, a lot of disparate pieces of information and, and rolling it into something that executives could make decisions about. So it was a very intense job with a terrible work-life balance, but I, I love the urgency of the work and did not really love the industry or, or the culture there. So it got me thinking about maybe what was next. So the other kind of part of my story is my husband, boyfriend at the time, was working as a teacher and an administrator at a, a place called Chinquapin Prep, which is a really special place. It's a boarding school east of Houston. It's the only privately funded boarding school for kids from underserved communities in Texas. So students are there Monday through Friday and the teachers oh, wow. live there. So I, I got to live on campus while I was working at this company, but living at a, at a school with all these teachers and an amazing community. So it was a, a really interesting and, and different experience, but I was able to volunteer a lot. And yeah, that kind of shaped who I was going, going into mm, business school. That's awesome. I mean, could you Tell us a, a little bit about that decision. I mean, going from you know Pennsylvania to Houston is maybe a totally different experience. How was that like transitioning? And, and did you know about the connection to oil and gas or even to what the socioeconomic situations might be like when you went to Rice? Or was that something that you discovered after? 
Yeah, not at all. I mean, Houston is the fourth largest city in the country. A lot of people don't realize it. It's a huge place. It has a huge medical center. Going into undergrad, I had some vague ideas about being a doctor. I think like a lot of undecided, high-achieving kind of teenagers, but I really didn't. It was, I grew up in the same house in the same place for, for 18 years, which was amazing and provided, you know, this level of stability that really allowed me to thrive and try all these new things. But it can feel, I think when you're 18, it can just feel like a small corner of what seems like a very big world. So it was a little bit of an adventure. I had no idea what living in Texas would be like or like living in the South would be like. So yeah, it was good just, I think, for overall growth and for me to get out of what is like a very privileged, nice suburb that I grew up in and to see other parts of the world. But Houston's a very dynamic place. I had no real concept of the fact that it was oil and gas. I just fell into energy from a few personal passions, as well as when I graduated, that industry was just hiring mm. and booming like crazy. So there was a lot of jobs as well. Yeah. What was that experience like? I know you you talked a bit about culture, but what were some of those early experiences like? And, and what was the juxtaposition of that? And what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was really stark. I don't think I noticed it early on. I was a young kid and Excited to have a, a real adult job where I could go and work. But yeah, after a few years, it was really rough. I mean, Chinquapin is located right outside of Baytown. And if anybody knows southeastern Texas, Baytown is where, where Mount Bellevue is, where a ton of refineries are. So I could stand on our front porch and see like flares. I could see the chemical refineries and all the infrastructure. I could see the gas being flared. And then I'd drive in from this kind of rural place into the city in the Galleria, which is like very fancy place in the city, and then go extract more oil and gas to make more money for people who are maybe not always great stewards of what they're doing. It did. It started to pull my head a little bit, I think, both from what am I doing in terms of my impact? What am I doing to the world? As well as culturally, like who am I in a workplace and how am I showing up? I mean, super male-dominated environment. It was very hard, I think, to be a, a small young woman. So it was culturally a clash. And I think from an impact and who I want to be in the world, a little bit of a clash too. And that was part of the decision to go to business school. Honestly, I hit a point in my career where I was like, okay, I've, I've got some skills now. I've got some things I can offer the world. I'm not kind of a useless 22 year old. What could I potentially do with those skills? And that's what started helping me think about uh, business school. Yeah. How did you decide to pursue an MBA? I know a lot of folks talk about thinking about maybe going to get a master's or an MBA or do some kind of like training. Like how did you decide on MBA being maybe the course that you wanted to take? Yeah. And whenever prospective students ask me, I give the horrible MBA answer. Of <laughs> For me, I, I, oh gosh, number one answer in like all things, all the time. I had two kind of North stars that really made it clear that business school was the right step for me. I mean, one was just that personal development. I, I stalled out where I was. I wasn't going to get or get an opportunity to practice kind of leadership or management skills or any sort of soft, squishy stuff. We call that Haas of like being able to connect to people in a real way. So one was just that is I knew I couldn't get that in my current corporate environment. And the other one was very practical and very functional. I was done with oil and gas. I, I really strongly wanted mm -hmm. to pivot industries into kind of clean energy or climate tech. So those two decisions, I think both lend really nicely to an MBA. Yeah. How did you go about planning that experience? I know when folks, I have my own journey, but I know when folks are going through that preparation process, it can be either super short or maybe a little bit longer. What was your experience like figuring out, okay, what program should I do? Where should I go? What schools uh, were you interested in? What was that process like for you? Yeah, it was terribly planned, oh. <laughs> and I would advise people to not do what I did, which was be so indecisive and 
so insecure about it that it was a spaghetti at the wall approach. I applied to nine or 10 schools and had really loose guidelines for why I was applying. Ultimately, I'm so glad I, I landed where I did, but whenever prospective students reach out or have multiple conversations with students at the programs about what the school is, that is by far the right way to do it. I didn't do that until the end of my process and I wish I had done it sooner. So it was messy. It wasn't perfect, but got a bunch of, had a very stressful few months, got a bunch of applications in and then thankfully landed off. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think uh, probably a lot of folks have a similar experience there. <laughs> How did you even decide to apply to Haas? I think for a lot of folks, there's definitely an East Coast bias or maybe a major city bias. San Francisco is definitely a big city, but it's not the biggest. How did you even decide to put an application into Haas? Yeah. I mean, um, I think the two North Stars really helped me there. So getting clarity on that of I want to develop as a human being and I really want to pivot into a specific industry that's very prominent in the Bay Area. So that helped, I think, provide the initial draw. But once I finally started interacting with Haas students and learning more about the school, this small school environment and just how amazing everybody is, but in an inspiring way and not an intimidating way. I mean, that was huge. I think just being in a place where I felt like I could learn from people and collaborate was so much more important than some prestige or some specific class or anything like that. So yeah, I, I got a little lucky that the Bay Area is home to where the industry I wanted to be and Haas happened to be right there. Yeah, absolutely. Could you talk a little bit about what were some of the things you wanted to get involved in before coming to Haas? And then what did you end up doing while you were in the program? Yeah, I had a list that was like three pages long oh my of gosh. I wanted to do. It was completely unreasonable. No human could ever. <laughs> As with, I think, a lot of people, I, I felt very overwhelmed when I got to school. There were so many things to do. Really try to draw circles around those important things that were important to me personally and then important to me professionally. So, those two big buckets were energy and clean energy. And then Haas is a consortium school, which was also really important to me. So, Consortium of Graduate Study and Management, it's an alliance between some of the world's leading graduate business schools with a mission to reduce the significant underrepresentation of Black, Latinx, and Native American students in, in MBA programs. So, I'm a white person, and I was uh, very humbled and, and honored to be part of the consortium at my time at Haas. And those are, I mean, some of my closest friends and best connections from Haas. I think, in general, kind of commitment to changing the status quo in business was really important to me. And then immersing myself and contributing to the clean energy environment was also really critical. So I tried to stay focused on those two things. No, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely had a very similar experience. Can you talk a little bit about both? Maybe we can start with Consortium uh, and we'll, we can talk about Burke as well. A lot of folks who are in the MBA or at a Consortium school may be aware of it, but could you talk a little bit about what Consortium is? What are the opportunities and what was your involvement like when you were on campus? Sure. Yeah. So the Consortium is a nonprofit. So it's a separate entity and it sits outside of any business school, but it, it has created this alliance of Oh, I'm not going to have the right number of many business schools and some programs that you'll recognize. I mean, University of Michigan, Rice is in there. There's, there's a, a number of just really amazing programs that are consortium schools and it's almost like a cohort. So I think in my year, there were 30 or 35 of us that were consortium fellows. Sometimes it comes with a scholarship. Sometimes it does not come with a scholarship. And it's just to provide that cohort experience. So it brings folks together. It helps as a consortium class kind of align with different initiatives at Haas, which was the racial inclusion initiative while I was in there and the gender inclusion initiative and things like that. So 
it's just a, a loose grouping of people. We all go to a big conference with all the other consortium students where we used to before COVID. And that was a big thing to build that network. And then I think the goal was really just to live those values, which is to produce that underrepresentation in whatever ways we can, both in business school, but especially out of business school, bringing those values with us. And that's awesome to hear. Yeah, I think we've had maybe a couple of folks who have been part of consortium, but it's definitely a great opportunity for folks who are really passionate about diversity and inclusion and being part of a organization. That sounds awesome. Can you talk a bit about Burke as well? I mean, I know for Hasi, Burke is definitely a, a known entity, but can you share a bit about what Burke is and what your experience was? Like? Sure. Yeah. Burke is the Berkeley Energy and Resources Collaborative. So it's a cross-campus energy and resources club. So not just Haas students, which for climate tech, energy, mobility in general. I mean, not just having business students solve it is pretty important. So it, it's across all departments. I was the co-president of a club along with a fantastic woman from the public policy school named Caroline Palmer. And the, the goal of the club is just to enable people to understand more about our industry, to enable opportunities to grow within the industry and to make connections. We did put on a really big conference. That was another kind of flagship event that we held. Um, and it was great. So I was part of an, I think, nine-person executive team. We had folks from PhDs from uh, EECS and electrical engineering, computer science, and we had public policy folks. We had all PhD in chemistry folks. So it was really nice to be able to collaborate people with the same passions, but coming at it from different angles. And so I learned a lot about leadership, a lot about energy. It really was my main passion and the way I spent my time, especially in my second year. Mm, absolutely. What's Burke really about? Is it about energy? Is it about kind of climate or alternatives? What's a big focus of the organization as a club? Yeah, I think it's evolved. I mean, we're called the Energy and Resources Collaborative, but I think we uh, deservedly got some criticism that the resources side of the equation never got as as much attention as it should. And it changed year to year, depending on the leadership team. But I think it is slowly evolving towards more of that kind of climate catch-all, which is a theme not just at Berkeley, but also across the industry as well. Gotcha. And just to give folks who might be interested in terms of what do people get out of the club? Do they get exposed to like job opportunities? Is it more like a social group or a way to connect? Do people become like entrepreneurs? What's pretty typical of um, students as they join Burke and graduate later on from their programs? Yeah, I think it's probably all of the above. The number one thing I got out of Burke was not only that experience of just leadership and connecting with so many people in the industry, having a really good excuse to bug lots of great people with cool jobs and say, hey, I'm representing Burke. I'd love to have you on a panel or speaker series or something like that. It's also just the people. I mean, Caroline is one of my, my best friends. I'm still in touch with most of that executive team. And those connections, people are at Tesla and all these great companies that now we're still friends. We're going to talk. We're going to collaborate in the future of our professional lives as well. So I think that Facilitation, especially across different majors and different departments, was really special and, and really important um, and something that I think Burke did a, a really good job of facilitating. That's awesome. Can you talk a bit about what you plan to do after MBA? I know you did a couple internships and, and now you're at Powerhouse. What was that experience like going through that? Especially, I think you were talking about energy and climate is an area of your interest. How, how did you leverage the, the resources at Haas in order to go into pivot into that industry and, and, and go in the direction you wanted to go in? I was a big fan of the hypothesis testing approach to figuring out what the heck I wanted to do after MBA. So I interned at a company called Bloom Energy, 
based in San Jose. They were off the edge of cleantech 1.0. They made hardware that involves natural gas and converting that into electricity. And they IPO'd while I was uh, there that summer uh, interning, which was really cool to see. So it was one baby step towards clean energy. It was still a tangible thing I could see and hold like oil and gas, but it was towards the industry I wanted to be in but I could still leverage some good skills and do well in that internship. But otherwise, yes, it really was about leveraging and squeezing everything I could out of the Haas experience. I mean, with Burke, with different classes, internships, projects, events around the Bay Area, um, there were so many different ways to tap into the industry, and I did them all. I knew I was on the lower end of the learning curve for for clean energy and and wanted to, to make up for it. I know you're in a early stage fund powerhouse ventures. Did you know that you wanted to be on the investing side or did you want to become like an operator working at a company? How was that process like? I know a lot of current MBA folks might be going through a similar process of trying to figure out where they want to land if they know the industry they want to go into. Yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoyed being on the operation side. I really liked building things and actually doing stuff. And I had an attitude that was not deserved at all towards investors and towards consultants. I really thought that's where I wanted to land, but I'm also very much a, a generalist. I came from a strategy background. I didn't have specific finance skills or specific marketing skills, and that's often what startups need. They need really specific people because they're cash-strapped and have a lot to do. I wasn't getting anything back from startups, which makes sense in retrospect, but what it did show me was there's a whole other side of the operator world in early stage technology that I had no idea. I just didn't understand venture capital. So I took, you know, new venture finance at Haas and started to come up to speed. But I also, like a lot of my Haas experience, reached out externally to see if I could do some projects or some externships or something to bring myself up to speed. That's really how I I landed at Powerhouse Ventures. I I cold outreach to them very early 2019 to see if they needed an intern, they had just publicly announced their first fund. And Alex Harbour and Emily Kirsch, who are both amazing, I took my call and were willing to take me on for 20 hours a week for, for an internship. Oh, that's awesome. What was that experience like? I know doing an internship can be intimidating. I know for some folks who maybe didn't have that type of experience, either in undergrad or post before they came to the MBA experience. What was that like being student and then also having to think about, oh, I need a job? <laughs> what was it? Especially in a place like VC, I think a lot of folks at Haas are, are really interested in VC, but it's a very kind of nebulous. It's a little bit more of a grounded out, make your own way type of industry. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, definitely similar. It's just, and now being in the industry, there's just, on the outside, it doesn't feel like a a lot of rhyme or reason for how and when at least small firms hire. It's like you raise a fund and all of a sudden you have opportunities and now you're posting JDs. It's not formal or you're not thinking about recruiting, at least again, on on small firms like like mine. Yeah, it was very much uh, compartmentalization. I was like trying to be a good friend and partner over here and trying to be a good student over here. Cleared my calendar, which was the beauty of being in my final semester at Haas and then was trying to learn how to be a good investor. And thankfully, Powerhouse Ventures was and still is a very small team. So I think it's can be very scary. And I was definitely scared in the, the early days where it's very visible, but the I think upside of that is um, you can make an impact and kind of come up to speed and, and do some good work quickly if you're ready for it. At that point in my MBA, I had failed enough in so many times in really low-risk environments, thankfully, that I had a grip on what I could do and couldn't do and 
how to approach different problems and honestly just identifying gaps of, hey, their team doesn't have someone who loves Excel. I love Excel. Let me mm -hmm. jump in there and figure some stuff out. And doing things like that really helped. No, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. I think from on paper, folks probably look at your background. They say, well, you graduated from Haas, you got the job, you're in venture capital. But I know you shared with me a bit earlier, Marie, that you had a, a bit of a twist in your journey that maybe folks can't see just on the surface. Could you explain maybe what that was like and what that experience was after you graduated from Haas? Yeah, definitely. So I graduated in June 2019. I had just signed for a full-time role at Powerhouse Ventures. I loved my time as an intern. I was so excited to you know start this full-time career doing something that was so cool and so fun and really challenging. All of these things were like when I laid out if I could find my dream job and it was these things. So I was thrilled just about to hunker down and start my my post MBA career. And right around when I graduated, I, I noticed I started feeling poorly. So my family had taken a trip to Southern France, which was amazing. And it was wine and bread and I just could not stay healthy and, and could not keep food down. I was tired all the time. Back in my college running days, I had some really bad acid reflux. And when I saw my doctor after that trip in July, that's what we thought it was. It was like, hey, we think we have some scar tissue and some things aren't working. We'll, we'll get on some pills and see how it goes. But it was actually August. I stopped running for the first time since I was like 15. It was like my body's just not up for it. And that's when I knew, you know, something was pretty serious. So I went in for an endoscopy three days before my 30th birthday, and instead of finding some scar tissue, had a, a pretty shocking late-stage esophageal cancer diagnosis. Not something you'd expect as a healthy 30-year-old who just got your dream job. It was really shocking. My whole world just contracted and shattered, and I'm in remission now, but it's been the hardest two years of my life. Yeah. I know you, you're sharing a bit that you had a better place now. If you wouldn't mind, would you share a bit about that journey? Maybe not just the treatments, but also some of the, maybe in your head, you've kind of gotten so high and you feel like it's a serious time in your life where, where things aren't going the way that you wanted. What was that like going through your head and how was it as you were coming out of it? How did you able to you know, overcome that? Because I know it's just from personal experience uh, with friends and family, it, it can be really trying, not just for you, but for your loved ones and, and your friends and family who are supporting you as well. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, treatment is brutal. So there's just that aspect of it. So I had five rounds of chemotherapy and then I had major surgery to, to cut everything out in January of 2020 and then went back a few weeks later to do my last three rounds of chemo. It was horrible. I you know, lost 20 pounds and was covering from major surgery. My parents actually moved out and they moved into an apartment in my same building so that they could help us walk the dogs, feed me, all that. It was all saving. They were amazing. My partner, I mean, he stepped back from his job uh, and went back into the classroom so he could have more work-life balance. Because to your exact point, it certainly tore me up, but it also ripple affected across my friends and family and, and the host friends I had. I finished chemo March 13th, right before the world shut down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are not going to be the same anymore. I can't eat or sleep regularly. I, I can't run anymore. I don't have very much energy still so much confidence stuff to work through as I regrow my hair and figure out a new body. The list goes on and on. So I'm grateful and very lucky. I have weekly therapy that's helping me work through, I think, some of the harder mental issues. And Emily and Powerhouse, I mean, everybody was unbelievably supported. I mean, I, I took medical leave. I was off for a few months and then I came back exactly 
the way I needed to come back with zero strings attached. Emily, just like blank check, do whatever you need to do for yourself every day, every week, every hour to show up at work in the way you want to. And without that, I think the anxiety of trying to work full time or get back on deals or push myself would have would have made me crack. So thankfully, between work and, and family, I've been super well supported. Maybe could you share a bit about I've talked to some other Hasis who have a very similar experience. How did you stay motivated throughout all of that? I know you said you're a runner, and so maybe there's a bit of a mental training there. But <laughs> having talked to a couple very dedicated runners, there's definitely a mental component there. But how did you personally persevere? I know we talk a, a bit about that in the MBA program, a bit about being building grit or resiliency. But for you personally, how did that manifest as you're going through the past couple of years? Yeah, it's a great question, and I wish I had really good answer. I think the one phase of just active treatment and being diagnosed and all the tests and there's a stage, there was about a month for me where I knew I had cancer, but I didn't really know what kind or how much it had spread or how many more procedures I was need to go like have before I could start treatment. So it's so uncertain. It's literally life or death. It's just very scary. So there's the active treatment part then where now you have a plan. I, I was treated at Kaiser Oakland and it was incredible. I mean, I had a care team and oncology and surgery that checked in every day. And you have this whole team around you and your friends send you cards and inspirational texts and Buddy the Beagle visits you while you're mm. at chemo. There's like a whole army that's there to support you and you need it. I was literally, you're literally dying. Like one of my chemo drugs is a derivative of mustard gas. I have permanent nerve damage in my hands and my feet because of it. Like these are brutal, horrible drugs. In some ways, it condenses your world to the point where all you're doing is getting to the next minute. And there's a beauty to that in some ways of like you're just surviving. So that was one phase. And I think the athlete mentality was really helpful in some ways of just getting through it, pushing through, enduring. It really was just endurance. But the next phase was recovery. And that's been really challenging too. I mean, I, I thought recovery might be like a path up a mountain. And as long as you just walk the path and follow the rules, things would get better and easier. But it's really more like you're staring into this giant void and nobody has some answers for you. No, people my age and my gender typically don't get this type of cancer. There's no guidance and you're just off in the wild to rebuild your body and rebuild your mind and that lack of structure and detachment from a lifestyle I had really connected to the athlete lifestyle impossible is nothing hustle you can do it that kind of stuff now all of a sudden it's actually I can't do it impossible is something and just detaching that from the hustle grind lifestyle that I think was so much a part of my 20s and my athletic career has been the journey every single day to choose to be nice to myself and proud of myself and keep moving forward with my teeny little baby steps. And there's definitely a beauty in that. And it's great to hear, Maria. You just talked about how Powerhouse Ventures really supported you. Could you uh, share a bit about what Powerhouse is doing and also share about what your experiences like has been at Powerhouse? I know you're super passionate about the area, so would love to to give Powerhouse a plug. Yeah. And share about what's going on. Yeah, of course. I could talk about Powerhouse and early stage investing and our portfolio companies all day. So I'll try to keep it um, short. Powerhouse Ventures are amazing and would love to share a little bit more. So we are an early stage venture fund based in Oakland. And our work is to identify and support founding teams building innovative software to rapidly transform our global energy and mobility system. So 
We believe that addressing the climate crisis requires deploying our most viable market-based solutions today. So basically, we invest in pre-seed and seed stage software companies that digitize, democratize, and decarbonize those two energy and mobility systems. Can you share a bit about what are the typical types of investments or areas that powerhouses already invested in for folks who might be interested? Sure. Yeah, of course. There's one, our website is great. So you can always go check out our portfolio there, but we invest across a lot of different types of technology. So among the more obvious maybe is uh, technology that supports renewable energy assets. So things like wind and solar. We have our investment in a company called Raptor Maps that does, they're creating a system of record with some really cool thermo imaging and ML stuff that they can load onto any kind of fixed wing or drones and build a system of record for, for existing solar plants, for example. It just makes all sorts of things way more efficient. Similarly, we invested in a company called Ensemble Energy. They did predictive analytics for the wind sector, really hard to do and really expensive if things go wrong in the wind sector. So they were actually uh, just acquired this year by Spark Cognition, which is a generalist AI platform, which was really cool to see. So one is, I think, really recognizable as quote unquote clean energy or, or is, is anything that makes renewable energy assets easier to finance, deploy, optimize and operate. So that's one kind of really big one. We have another kind of area of our thesis around market access participation. So Anything as energy and mobility really rapidly change and evolve as they have over the last few years and as they will, there's so many opportunities to more effectively connect with stakeholders that need new and different things. So, uh, for example, we have a portfolio company called Solstice and they help build a, a software solution for customers of shared solar. So, community, which is really exciting and, and something that's growing rapidly. And lastly, we have another pillar around anything that finances and deploys. And so there's a, a really good example is a portfolio company called Energetic Insurance, where they've created an insurance product, a credit swap policy that you can layer on to commercial industrial solar, like 90% is either unrated or underrated. And so banks can't finance them. But with this credit policy, you can add it on and all of a sudden potentially unlock a ton of finance to really get that sector underway. Digital technology, I think, as a caveat, and just to recognize there's a lot of hardware innovation and, and commercialization that certainly needs to happen. And we're not saying that that doesn't need to happen, but we're leaving that to the breakthroughs of the world and other funds who are really specialized. I think there is so much low-hanging fruit in these undigitized energy and mobility sectors that really can be helped and served by software. And that's really what we're trying to go after. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I know you're in the sourcing and diligence area. Are you still looking at different opportunities? And what should people do or prep is if they want to reach out to you? Oh, I'd love if you reach out to me. <laughs> My email is marie at powerhouse.fund. Yeah, I think it's pretty open-ended what we're looking for. I mean, we're at the earliest stages. So if you're working on something that is within that and is early, um, understanding who you are and why you are uniquely suited to build this business and to build this business right now. I think the market timing and the team are certainly things that we we look at. But we, I mean, our diligence process runs a gamut. I mean, we have a lot of big buckets that we look to understand and to fill around the team, around the product, technology, market differentiation, business model, revenue model, go-to-market strategy, pretty classic and standard stuff. So yeah, if anybody's working on anything, I would love to hear from them. That's awesome. Yeah. Maria, I know we've talked about just so much today. Any other organizations or people or courses at Haas that you want to plug? You've had an amazing journey and would love to just plug any other organizations or groups that you might be part of that you'd, you'd want to highlight. Yeah. I mean, one is just 
climate in, in general, if folks out there are technologists or in tech or have skills, there are so many climate companies that are building and hiring. And if you feel compelled to change your career to serve something that is such a, a massive crisis like the climate crisis, I would just encourage people to go for it, to apply. We, we certainly have a job board on our website for portfolio companies, but there's so much out there and there's so much talent needed that one, it's just a, a plug for climate if you're thinking about careers, which yeah, I think would love for, for folks to check us out, Powerhouse Ventures and our sister organization, Powerhouse. My boss, Emily Kirsch, runs a podcast called what it takes, where she interviews founders who are building clean energy and, and mobility solutions in a really personal way, which I think is pretty aligned with Haas and, and genuine stories. So would love for folks to check that out as well. And in terms of Haas, yeah, a big pug for Burke, as always, please check it out and go to a event and support them. They're still doing great work. Yeah, absolutely. Marie, and we'll try to, Marie, we'll get a link from you and have it either attached to the podcast or share it out on my socials. Marie, we always end with a lightning round, sometimes fun, sometimes controversial, depending on your answers. <laughs> so right. maybe we finish <laughs> off with three or four questions here and then, yeah, we'll be done here in our podcast. Cool. Favorite topic, a number one question, our lightning round, favorite place to eat at Berkeley? Oh, probably Berkeley Espresso. I know that's not a place to eat, but I've done more work in that coffee shop than any other place around <laughs> campus. I love that place. Yeah, I feel like coffee shops are regular for Hossies. So okay. uh, if you're not a student yet and you do become a student, definitely you'll probably be at a coffee shop once or twice. What was your favorite class to take while you were at Haas? Or one of the favorite classes you took? Corporate finance. Mm -hmm. That was actually an outstanding class. Yeah, the professor of the class, I learned so much in that class. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a very similar experience with corporate finance. Cool. I'm yeah, glad. Yeah. It sounds maybe intimidating for some folks, but it's definitely, I learned a ton. So I appreciate it. Marie, a lasting or fun memory that you have from your MBA experience? Lasting or fun memory? I think it's just one amalgamation of all the silly, fun things of Dragioki and Hafsaween and <laughs> all of those things that kind of seem silly, but we can do it and have fun because we're all in it together at business school. So maybe not one, maybe it's just all of those kind of events com combined. Yeah. Very cool. And last but not least, things that get you excited about the future or a thing that gets you excited about. So much. I, I think especially when it comes to my work, there's so much to be done as I think everybody knows. So I think I hope the progress we're going to see on issues around climate is going to be amazing and really show what humanity is capable of. So I'm hopeful and excited for that, I think. Well, Marie, it's been great to have you on the show today. Definitely will plug all the relevant links in, in this podcast, but want to say thanks again for joining us and thanks for being part of the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity and it was really nice to, to meet you and, and to be here. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. Go Bears.